I'm Mike Warden. Welcome to Conversations in Healthcare, a video series brought to you by DRG, part of Clarivate. This episode is one of uh, a number that we are recording alongside on Helix, a digital conference that is uh, hosted by One Nucleus. Uh, in line with this, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Daphne Zoha, who um, is um, going to offer us insights in you know, from a very different perspective, uh, the company's got an interesting model. You know, Daphne is the uh, founder and CEO of PureTech, uh, a clinical stage biotech uh, that has a broad and uh, deep pipeline that's been developed either internally or through uh, affiliate companies. Um, PureTech is headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, but listed on the London Stock Exchange. Uh, with a market cap of approximately 700 million pounds. So Daphne, I, I hope you uh, and those you, you care about are, are keeping well and safe. And thanks so much for, for, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. So as I mentioned uh, in, in my introduction, uh, PureTech, uh, you've got a, an interesting business model. Um, so could you first sort of describe how the PureTech R&D business model was first conceived and, and what challenges um, did you think that that approach was, was, was designed to solve? Yeah, so it's interesting because in biotech, most companies are started by entrepreneurs or scientists that have a specific technology or idea that they're advancing and kind of looking for a problem to solve with that technology. And what we did was we turned it that approach on its head. And the idea was really to start with a problem, uh, unmet need, a disease area, work with the leading experts in the world and really take a broad view, unbiased, at the landscape of technologies that are being developed in academia, ideas that had been developed by industry that may not have succeeded um, and where there might be sub problems one could go after. And so the, the concept was to look very broadly and in a modality agnostic, unbiased way, look for the best ideas that one could um, advance. And in this process, what we would often do is hear about new ideas before they'd been published in major journals. And also our team was proactively inventing um, ideas, you know, so first defining the, the problem set and then coming up with ideas to solve it and looking at academics that might be developing approaches. So through this process, we think it has advantages in that um, it's completely unbiased. So we're not trying to convince the world that this is the best idea. We're really looking for what is the best idea. And another element of the process is to take an idea that may be very novel and to focus in on whatever the key weakness or area of skepticism is and actually do an experiment or multiple experiments to address that area of skepticism. So to do sort of the killer experiment early on that can either drive value or convince us to not proceed with that program. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, you know, venture capitalists um, who are pursuing a sort of company building approach or an asset centric approach would say exactly the same thing. So what, what is it that you're doing that you think is different from, from, from those sort of traditional, you know, what VCs might be doing? 
Yeah, so I think that if you ask a VC what they do, they would say that they bet on the jockey, not the horse. They're really betting on people. And um, in that, they also do some of the, the um, venture creation types of um, firms also do uh, this thematic sourcing where they might look at it a broad area. I think the primary difference between us and a VC is we're really the entrepreneur. So they sort of back entrepreneurs, we are the entrepreneur. We're the institutional version of an entrepreneur. So we're actually identifying these approaches and we're developing them internally in our labs. Um, and I think that's different. There's some um, structural differences, but I think that what's important is that this is an ecosystem. So there's room for multiple ways of tackling this, this problem. Um, when I was describing our process, it's really how it's different from a biotech firm, but we do have elements of what we do that are similar to venture creation. And then at the same time, we're an operating company. We're developing new medicines and uh, advancing those medicines. So if you look at our pipeline uh, of 23 product candidates being developed either internally or through our founded entities, our team was, uh, were co-inventors across all of those programs and platforms. That's, I think, pretty different from a venture capital fund. All right. Now, given the fact that, you know, again, this sort of the traditional biotech model is, you know, they've normally got one asset and it, 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 t it tends to be kind of binary. Um, whereas your approach is it's, it's multi channels. Uh, so I, I was just wondering you know, what, what are the sort of the challenges as the CEO of a company like, like Pure Tech, where you're running this sort of, um, sort of dual model? What, what are the sort of the challenges that you think are you know, specific to running that kind of business compared with, say, for example, that you know, uni, unimodular uh, biotech? Yeah, so maybe I'll just start with um, how we're different in, the, in that way from a biotech company. And that is that we, you know, if you're in a biotech company and you have one platform and maybe a couple of products coming out of that platform and you get a mixed result in a clinical study, you have this tendency to want to continue. You've got a team, you've got all these things going on. So there's this almost like bias to continue uh, with a specific approach. And I think from our perspective, our team is totally aligned with our shareholders in that if something doesn't work, uh, it's kind of gray. We have all these other things we could be doing with our resources. So we're motivated to move our resources as quickly as possible to follow the winners uh, and away from the things that are less promising. I think that that causes us to have a high level of discipline. The challenge compared to a biotech company is that when we tell people what we do, it sounds very complex to them. And actually it's not because it's the same process. We're focused on one area really of biology. Uh, and uh, the team that's been involved really knows these programs really well. So for us, it's not complicated, but when we describe what we do, it seems complex. Um, I think that's one challenge. The other challenge that we have is that, you know, there's companies in the world that don't have, you know, that sort of want to be more innovative. Our challenge is that we're so innovative that there's not many anchors. <laughs> there's not many yeah. companies quite like us. Um, so for example, when we listed in, uh, 2015 on the London Stock Exchange on the main market there. Um, we we did that because in the UK there were some companies that had similar structures with parent and subsidiaries. And I'll say a little bit about why we chose to do that in a second. Um, but in the US there weren't really no comparables. What's interesting though is recently there's a um, 
an openness to new models for developing medicine. So for example, in the US now there's Bridge Bio, there's Schrodinger, there's Royalty Pharma. So this openness to new ideas that aren't just like one binary biotech, uh, I think is very promising. Yeah. So I mean, coming to you know, this idea, you, you mentioned, you described it as an ecosystem, okay? And you know, I mean, your, the sort of, the links that you have within the sort of community and the sort of, you know, KOLs that you have, et cetera, uh, and you sort of described the fact you've got more innovation than you could prob probably handle. You know, is, how challenging is it to actually sort of your know, marshal you know, all that brain activity into something that is going, is going to be tangible. You know, how do you sort of select and prioritize the programs you actually think are worth pursuing? Yeah, um, so, you know, we have a process that's evolved over time, and it starts really with the problem, uh, getting together the experts who really thought most deeply about the problem together with our team, um, who's, the team is really innovative, very entrepreneurial, uh, and then, uh, you know, I think what happens is you'll be looking at hundreds of ideas. So a lot of ideas will come up. Uh, people will say, oh, this, you know, I, my former postdoc has this breakthrough that's about to be published. Or they'll say, you know, that this group over at this institution has been doing really interesting work. Or in the case of Karuna, where we were a co-inventor, so Eric was the, the lead inventor on the CAR-XT platform. In that case, people, um, we had a group of schizophrenia experts together, and they were saying, you know, why did Xenomaly never get advanced? That was such an intriguing program. They had this remarkable efficacy. And that's how we started the conversation. And we dug deeper and, and solved the problem that Xenomalin had. And that's, you know, the story of Karuna. Um, but in, in this process, what's really interesting is we thought all these scientists would be promoting their own ideas. And they often are coming with their own ideas. But there's almost like a truth to the process where the best ideas emerge, and everybody's motivated to really find the concept that has sort of the best um, chance for success. And, and that's a combination of being really innovative, sort of taking advantage of cutting edge science, but also being something that you could um, test um, and de-risk in a reasonable period of time with a reasonable amount of money. So that's part of the model is actually not to spend too much money in the beginning and, you know, do those experiments. Yeah. So, so, so what actually needs to be in place for you to be able to make that, you know, go no decision you know, in, 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 in the first place? Um, well, I'd say, first of all, we, we won't do anything that is like a me too concept. So you won't see anything that we're doing that sounds like other people. I mean, um, yesterday we had the, the first sort of um, landmark um, clearance by FDA of the first video game for treating ADHD, uh, or in the case of Gelesis, which was also cleared by FDA, it's the first mechanotherapeutic, where it's an orally administered product that then acts mechanically um, in the body. Um, so that was also cleared by FDA. So I think it for us, um, it has to be really novel. Um, it has to be, you know, sort of differentiated and protected by intellectual property. Uh, and we think it also has to be able to make a difference um, for a large number of patients in an area where there's not a solution right now. So in the case of like LYT100, our lead program in our internal pipeline, uh, we got to that by looking at lymphedema, which is a huge unmet medical need. So I think that concept of unmet need, um, innovation, we can test it quickly, um, and it builds on our areas of strength, the areas where we have expertise. I think those are some of the, the things that we look at. All right. Now, 
you know, as I mentioned earlier on, you, you, you've got a sort of the, this dual model where you have these founded entities, for example, uh, you know, CoXT, which you mentioned, or Jealousis, um, those, and then, and now you're also developing your, 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 your own uh, in, internal programs. So first, um, you know, when, how do you make a decision on, you know, what is going to be uh, a founded entity? And how autonomous are they from the, sort of the, the mothership? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, the, re the, the decision to initially create these founded entities was really driven by um, sort of economics. When we started PureTech, we started with no cash. So we really, you know, sort of had to build PureTech from the ground up. And initially, we found that in order to advance these innovative ideas, uh, it was um, the funding mechanism that we used was to partner with venture capital funds. So to actually put the technology into a subsidiary company, partner with venture capital funds and advance it. Now that we have our own resources, after we have sort of a track record of success, we've been able to um, choose a group of assets that are interconnected and develop them internally. Um, and so basically our growth engine going forward is through our internal pipeline. Um, and we also have these founded entities, which have, you know, I think very exciting and advanced. Um, but in terms of the internal pipeline, the way that we decide what's going to be stay internal, um, first of all, that's going to be the default going forward. Everything we're doing internally is focused broadly on immunology and the lymphatic system. So that's a subset of the brain immune gut access, which is sort of a, a theme across all of our founded entities and internal pipeline. Um, you know, with that said, we've got so much, um, you know, that we can do with our internal pipeline. And there's only so many things we are going to be able to advance ourselves. So we can choose to take a subgroup, you know, spin them out. Um, partner with pharma companies on specific assets and so on. But the difference between now and before was before the default was to create an entity and have other people invest in it. Whereas now the default is to keep it internal. And then we would selectively think about creating a founded entity if it didn't, if we didn't think we could do it justice or develop it internally ourselves. And, and, and the business model for those founded entities, was it that they would become actual commercial companies or was it that they might sort of almost like sub-license um, that, that uh, platform or that product to, 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 a, to a pharmaceutical company? Yeah, so in the case of the founded entities, the vision was really that we were gonna take these medicines and develop, and those founded entities were gonna develop them, get them to patients and potentially to the market. Um, and the, um, the business model, so you asked earlier about the independence, once we made a decision to create a founded entity, it's just like any other company. So for example, Achille has its own team, its commercial infrastructure, Karuna, um, Gelesis, Vedanta, Folica, which is developing treatment for baldness. All of these founded entities have um, their own management teams. And you know what's interesting about those management teams was that a lot of those management teams were basically pure tech team members initially. So Eddie Martucci, who's running Achille, Bernat, who's running Vedanta and so on, Andrew, who's COO at Karuna, were members of our team involved in that sourcing effort. Uh, and then they sort of stayed on with those founded entities. And now in this um, sort of evolution of our model, those individuals, are the, the, the ones that are doing the initiating are actually staying within PureTech and helping to advance those programs. Right. So, uh, I mean, so if you mentioned that, so it's now the sort of, you know, the default um, that you're going forward, it's essentially going to be, it's going to be a pure, a pure tech uh, 
company or PureTech is the is the company who is going to develop it. That that sweet spot that you sort of talked about, it still seems quite a big uh, sweet spot. I mean, you, you talked about how you you have this you're swamped by innovation. It doesn't look like you've narrowed it down very much. Yeah, you know, I think that we have um, narrowed it down because um, there's really no, you know, companies that we're aware of that are working on the lymphatic system. So we believe we have a a leadership position uh, in that area. Uh, And what happens is we have different programs, different platforms. So we've licensed technology from five different research institutions in our internal pipeline. So we still have that discipline. Um, where these different programs are moving forward and we're going to move the resources to the ones that have the most promise. We're going to kill the programs that don't work. The difference is that we learn a lot more. So if a program doesn't work, we're learning about the biology that translates across all of the programs. And I think that that is, um, yes, it's true that Vedanta is in the, you know, broadly in the, the gut area and jealousness is too. So we've learned a lot about the gut epithelial barrier, for example, and the microbiome through both of those entities. And we try to get people together to talk about it. But in our internal pipeline, that's designed into it. Uh, And, you know, from our perspective, the, um, you know, once you develop a program and it's a product candidate and you're moving it forward, there's a specific team that has ownership uh, and deep domain expertise on that specific area. And now, you know, that team is staying within PureTech and not sort of going external to other entities. Right. And how, how do you sort of, you sort of you maintain that, um, you know, that innovation that sort of, because if all of a sudden your PureTech guys are now, you know, sort of developing their internal programs, you know, have they got that opportunity, that sort of that thinking time to actually come up with all the other ideas that in the past would have spawned off your, your, your founded entities? Yeah, so I think that um, that's really Eric, um, who is has been, you know, overseeing that innovation engine. Um, and the way I look at it is we have Joe Bolin, our chief scientific officer, who's sort of owns the domain of platform technology through product candidate. Um, and Eric comes in sort of as we're thinking about the product candidate. I mean, obviously, he's very involved in sort of thinking through the, the initial stages, but he sort of owns the product candidate through proof of concept. Um, phase. So, you know, it's, I think it's really an extension of what we've always done. And the whole culture at PureTech is really, you know, built on that concept of innovation, following the truth, following the science. Um, and I don't think any, that's changed in any way. Right. Well, so what, one of the interesting things is, you know, if one looks at PureTech, so those advisors you've got, I mean, you've got a, a stellar group of, of, of individuals. Um, I just, you know, just thinking about managing th- th- those people, you know, in the same room uh, must must be a big challenge. You know, what, um, you know, first, what value are they actually bringing to to, to 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 the company? And actually, do you have any sort of tips in terms of you know being able to 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 to, to manage or get the best out of these uh, these giants of the industry? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, for example, on our board, um, everybody's just very engaged and they really care about what we're doing. Uh, in the case of the scientific collaborators, so people like Sid Mukherjee, who we co-founded uh, VOR with, um, or, you know, Adam Ghazali, who um, was the inventor behind Achille. Um, so all of these people, um, I think a lot of them are advisors to companies. 
and a lot of them, you know, to big pharma companies, for example. And what I've heard them express is that, you know, they might be advisors to big pharma or even venture back companies, but they're often asked to comment on something that somebody else is doing and sort of say, you know, here's what I think you could do differently. In our case, it, it feels like what they have ownership over it. It's really a concept of bringing together the best minds. And I think they're drawn to each other, you know, so like they all like hanging out with each other. That's number one um, and learning from each other. And the process that we have and the approach that we have is really um, it's a chance for them to not just advance their own ideas, but to take the best ideas in the world from other scientists and help to see those advance and actually have an impact on it. Um, as opposed to, let's say, coming to a pharma company, weighing in on their pipeline, then coming back 18 months later and seeing the same products and kind of saying the same things. It's a different I think approach. So it's not so much managing them as much as really engaging with them and getting the most that we can and then leveraging what we learn from them and actually running with it. And, and I think that that combination is probably what they find appealing. Right, right. Matt, you mentioned um, that you know, you're on the London Stock Exchange um, and you kind of gave us some sort of, you know, sort of, you know, sort of reasoning behind that. I mean, it is you know, sort of completely the opposite direction. Most most European biotech companies actually want to go and list in the States because that's where the deep pools of capital are, etc. Um, so, you know, do you, you know, coming to London, you sort of said it was it was because, you know, you felt that the London market would be more receptive to, to the sort of business model you were running? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back at Pure Tech, we started with a $100,000 check from an angel investor who happened to be a former CEO of a pharma company. Uh, we built this from the ground up. And um, so when you're doing something in a resource-constrained way, initially you're looking for where are the pockets of resources. And in the case of the, the London Stock Exchange and some of our core investors, um, they really understood this model. Uh, with that said, we believe the right, you know, thing for us over time is to, you know, to have a presence in the U.S. And we see that when we look at sort of the difference in approach. Like in the U.K., I think um, the investors tend to be more conservative, um, and you know, we think you know they're wonderful investors. But when you see, for for example, what value was attributed to Karuna in our when it was part of when we owned eighty percent of it, it was part of our internal pipeline. Uh, and before we sort of spun it out versus um, how much value was attributed on NASDAQ once that was public and they got their phase two results. So over time, and we've had, you know, we have some of the, um, the best, you know, biotech investors in the founded entities. And we believe that over time by having this internal pipeline uh, and a presence in the U.S. of some sort, um, we will have um, the same value reflected for us. For example, when we get proof of concept around the LYT100 or LYT200 um, or other programs, we should see that same sort of value attributed. And the vision for PureTech is really, we're a biopharmaceutical company. Sort of when we, when we grow the company, we envision it growing, you know, in the same way that, as any big pharma, you know, so, but much more innovative, much more nimble. And, um, you know, the path to doing that is going to be based on what we've already accomplished, which we think is, you know, terrific. And we're really fortunate to have had such, you know, good, good results. Uh, but also to be able to unlock that value, because right now in the UK, it's sort of compressed into 
um, you know, a structure that doesn't really give us uh, recognition for what we've accomplished. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that, that um, we're aligned in our shareholders and figuring, figuring out how to do that in the best way. Yeah. So, um, uh, you mentioned LYT100. This is, uh, this is, that's your lead program. Um, and, and recently, because you saw there's some sort of um, potential to treat you know, sort of severe patients that have got COVID-19, um, you, you've pivoted and you've also now got a program uh, there. Could you just sort of explain the sort of the rationale and also just how quickly you were able to, 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 to pivot? Yeah, so um, in the case of LYT100, um, that started from a sourcing effort in, in um, lymphedema where we work with leading experts. We identified this program um, that had some, some unpublished um, research around efficacy in a preclinical model for, for lymphedema. By, through our network, our chief business officer actually had developed a program called um, Duprofinidone uh, at Auspex, which was acquired by Teva. And we, we were able to get access to it. We were aware of data that um, they had generated because of Barat's uh, insights. We were able to acquire that program. Now that program, the parent compound, Perfinidone, uh, is um, you, you know, being marketed by Roche in uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and it's, it's a known antifibrotic agent, um, but it also has anti-inflammatory properties. And so as we were, um, as we were, you know, kind of obviously tracking this whole COVID-19 outbreak, it became clear to us through our opinion leaders, key opinion leaders and experts, that one of the major unmet needs for COVID-19, a lot of people are developing vaccines, um, acute care, you know, treatments, but one of the problems is that people in, for example, um, SARS Classic and MERS, they develop um, lung scarring um, and that, uh, lasts that persists and the issue really with COVID-19 we've got millions of people who have it um, but nobody has really been looking at this post-recovery complications this fibrosis and inflammation that happens that can cause long-term effects so um, we you know I think it was a combination of, of working with scientists uh, pulmonologists who really believe that this uh, the perfinidone um, could have had an impact or could have an impact but it has tolerability issues um, so very similar to the Corona story where we had Zenomalin, which had some issues, but we had an approved version. In the case of LYT100, um, this is a uh, approach that, that is um, overcoming some of the tolerability issues, potentially enabling better efficacy and potentially enabling this to be used in a vulnerable population. So we spent a lot of time with our board, with leading experts, pulmonologists, um, you know, probably dozens of people, you know, sort of pressure testing this because um, it's, 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 you know, a big decision for us to enter into another clinical area. We probably had uh, four in-depth, you know, discussions with our R&D committee and our board um, on this and, you know, honing what it is that we were going to do with this program. So um, I think it was a really good process. It, it took us about two months, um, even though the team initially kind of was ready to go um, to, to really make sure that we're making the right decision here about what we want to do and what's the study design and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, as, a, as a final question, um, you, you founded PureTech in 2005 um, and 
knowing what you now know, um, if you were able to travel back in time, what advice would you give your, your younger self? Yeah, you know, it's, it was, it's an interesting question because, you know, I, I am a person who likes to be around skeptics. I feel like I learn a lot from skeptics, but I'm also one of those people that likes to figure out and solve problems. Um, but I think that when you're starting something really new, you get some people who are skeptics just because you don't, you're not doing things the way that other people are doing. And I think that um, that can cause a person who is um, starting out early in their career to question their own judgment. Um, and I feel like that um, what I would probably, advice I'd probably give myself is, um, is not to listen to the skeptics so much, <laughs> you know, so listen to the ones that I respect, the ones I feel like I can learn from, but realize that some people are just skeptical because we're in an industry where most things fail and some people can create a career just saying no to everything and, and they can look really smart because most things fail. So I think just um, being able to temper um, who you listen to and, um, and not sort of get being so hard on yourself in, you know, the early days. Yeah. That's probably the advice I'd give myself. And I'd give that advice to anybody sort of starting out in, you know, their early career. Great. So actually that, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to, uh, to conclude. So that, you know, that's the advice to, you know, young entrepreneurs. Um, so that's great. So Daphne, thanks very much for, for, for taking the time uh, to talk to us today. Um, the insights you've shared on, you know, how you've, what you've done with Pure Tech and, you know, how you built that. Um, I think they're going to be very, very interesting uh, for, for the audience. So um, if you'd like to tune into future conversations, follow our LinkedIn page where we're going to be posting alerts to, to future episodes. So in, in closing, I'd, I'd, I'd like to thank Daphne again and, and also thank uh, listeners for, for tuning in. So until next time, Stay safe and healthy and I'm Mike Ward and I'll see you in the next episode.